as we get started, and totally feel free um, to just shout this out. What is your favorite superhero movie uh, of all time? There have been a lot laid in the last uh, 20 years, 104 to be exact. But what are some of, what's one or some of your favorite superhero movies? Spider-Man Homecoming. Okay. Avengers Endgame. Okay. Avengers Endgame. Okay. Anyone else? Any fans? It's um. It's funny. This the the whole superhero um, superhero movies have been made as as far back as 1950, but it's only it's relatively recently. Really, film critics will say it started with X Men uh, in the year 2000 that. Superhero movies went from being a sort of a sub-genre, like in the action film genre, to being their own sort of thing. Uh, as I mentioned to you, 104 superhero movies have been made in the last 19 years. That's a ton. Now, I think um, there are probably lots of college honors theses being written explaining this phenomenon, why there are so many superhero movies these days. I have my own guesses and opinions, but I'm fairly certain that a chief reason behind uh, the ubiquity and the popularity of superheroes uh, films is that they are tapping into uh, a deep-seated feeling or knowledge or intuition that we all have that the world is not okay and that we are really desperate uh, for someone to come and fix it. I think that genre, these, these movies are really tapping into that. Tonight we are coming to this question uh, of our ten essential questions. How are we saved? How are we saved? And I think it's one of the most important questions that you can ask. And I think it's absolutely critical that you get the answer to this question right. And that's why I've chosen two texts for tonight. It's not because one of them is unclear and we need another one to sort of make it more clear. But rather, I wanted to give you these two texts so that you can hear this message loud and clear. Uh, uh, my hope is that the effect of having these two before you is sort of like turning that, uh, is amplifying the message, sort of turning it up from a 10 to 11, you know. And here are some of the things that I hope that you walk away uh, with tonight. Uh, one, that we are saved by grace. Two, that we are saved by faith. And three, that eternal living can begin today. So we are saved by grace, we're saved by faith, but we also want to add to this that eternal living um, can begin today. First, um, what I hope you see from John 3, 16 to 17, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, is that we are saved uh, by grace. Uh, When I was growing up, uh, I was told uh, in my home that God helps those who help themselves. I I heard this message a lot in the circles that I ran with. And I thought that the people who said this were quoting from the Bible. I didn't know the Bible that well. I thought they were quoting from the Bible. But in truth, this message, God helps those who help themselves, is found nowhere in the Bible. It's really an unbiblical idea. It's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. But it is a popular notion. It is what I think many people think the Bible teaches. Uh, This popular idea has infiltrated all culture and what our culture thinks the Bible says. God helps those who help themselves. The way this thinking goes is that essentially God saves good people. If you want to be saved, be a good person, or at least be better than Hitler. 
Don't lie too much. Don't cheat too much. Don't drink too much. Some don'ts. But then there are some do's like read your Bible, go to church, say your prayers, etc. And if you do all these good things and you avoid all of those bad things, God is going to reward you. He's going to give you a gold star. He's going to let you into heaven. So to this question, how are we saved? The theory answers you're saved by being a good person, by working hard, by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Right? God helps those who help themselves. God saves those who save themselves, you could say. Essentially, according to this theory, right, salvation is ultimately a paycheck. If you work hard, you get paid. Right? Salvation is a wage. It's your right. It's your due. But this is not at all how the Bible describes salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 makes this very plain. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast, so that nobody can take credit for it. Salvation is by grace, which in Greek is the same word for gift. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You can take no credit for it because it's a gift. And not only is salvation a gift, it is a completely undeserved gift. It's a gift that you don't see coming. It's not like a Christmas present or a birthday present that you know is probably coming to you on that day. It's just, it's hiding upstairs in the attic somewhere. It's not like that kind of gift. Grace is a gift that takes you by surprise, that sort of knocks you on your feet. It is startling. It is shocking. It is amazing, as the sin uh, that we just sang testifies. Grace is always amazing. During uh, the Rwandan genocide in 1994, when over one million Tutsi Rwandans were killed in a span of 100 days, during the Rwandan genocide, a Tutsi woman named Adele lost three children at the hands of one young man. And not only did this young man kill her three kids, he also killed her husband. Now, when the genocide was over and Adele had healed from her wounds, Adele started making visits to the prison. And she began ministering to the prisoners, not just preaching good news to them, but also bringing them food and clothing. Well, wouldn't you know that one of those prisoners was the young man who killed her kids and killed her husband? His name is Lewis. Well, Lewis recognized her, and she recognized Lewis one day. And he fell at Adele's feet, crying and kissing her feet and asking her, begging her for forgiveness. Not only did Adele forgive this man, she went further than that. Right? Adele showed him grace. See, Lewis deserved the death penalty for what he had done, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's fair. That's just. Forgiveness would have been merciful, right? Staying the death penalty, not getting what you deserve. That would have been merciful. But Adele showed him grace. Because here's what happened. When Lewis was released from prison, Adele adopted him as her own son. The man who killed her kids, she adopted into her family. 
and she became part of her family. Lewis had no home to go to, so Adele took him in as her own, and she made him an heir. That is gracious. That is shocking and amazing. You did not see that coming, right? That is an unbelievable gift. And it is akin, friends, to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. If, if being good is a swimming pool, we're not Michael Phelps. <laughs> and we're not even treading water. We are face down in the water, lifeless and listless and needing CPR. That is how God finds us. Spiritually speaking, we are lost. We stopped following God a long time ago following our own desires, following uh, the fashions and trends of the world, following, it says here, the prince of the power of the air and the devil, (laughs) right? If God is helping those who help themselves, we are in deep, deep trouble. And thank God that is not what the Bible teaches. Thank God that is just not true. God is not helping uh, those who help themselves. God is helping those who are helpless, who are listless, who are lost, We deserve God's just and righteous anger for the ways that we have treated him and others. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, gave us his only son. You did not see that coming. For God so loved the world that he gave us his son. He gave us this gift. We deserve condemnation, but we get salvation by grace instead. It's incredible. It's awesome. If the gift of God's son says something about the gift giver, namely how incredibly generous and kind he is, it also says something about who you are and how much you must mean to God. Because if God the Father and God the Son are willing to make this kind of sacrifice for you, you must mean a whole lot to him. And friends, you do. You mean a whole lot to him. This is not wishful thinking. Right? This is embodied in time, space, history. It is written in the history books. God came and he lived and he died and he was raised for you. So that you, who are a lot like Lewis, can be adopted into his family forever and ever. Salvation is by grace. But if salvation is this gift, how do we make it our own? Here again, our passage speaks loud and clear. I should say our passages, right? Because they agree with each other. They speak loud and clear. Salvation is by grace, and we receive this grace. We receive this gift with the empty hands of faith. Salvation is by grace, and it is received by faith. John says we receive salvation when we believe in Jesus' name. That is by putting our faith and trust in him. And Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, that By grace, we've been saved through faith. It comes to us through faith. This is not your own doing, he reminds us. It's the gift of God. And it is not a result of your works so that nobody can boast. If you're going to boast, boast in him. Right. Now, this is midterm week. It's midterm month. Lots of exams are being taken. Lots of projects are being done. But if we were going to get tested today, this week, this month, on how well we love God and others, every one of us would fail this exam. I'm not saying that we'd all get zeros, but I'm saying that nobody here in this room would get a perfect 100. 
None of us is doing this perfectly. It's not simply that you fail to keep God's laws. You don't even fail to keep the rules and expectations you have of yourself and others, right? You break your own rules. I break my own rules. This is the human predicament, right? You're like, gosh, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. We're lost. We're, we've, we've got issues, right? You know? But God has done something to save us. Uh, he's become like one of us. And he's aced the test that you and I so often fail. And he didn't do this to impress you. He did this to save you. It's kind of like being in those horrible group projects where you can't get your stuff together and nobody else can get the stuff together. I, I, I don't know. I hated group projects in college. <laughs> um, maybe you do too. What the Bible essentially says is that we are all in this group project and we're all failing, but God joined the group project. And he, he's like the guy, who, or the guy or the girl who joins your project and just crushes it, mm-hmm. right? He aces it. He does it perfectly. Now, you know better than everybody, the only reason why you're passing this test is not because of you, but because of his contributions, right? He has aced the test for you. He's aced the project for you. And you can either be like, that's awesome. Thank you. We needed your help. We're glad that you're on our side. Or you can be like, eh, don't want it. Don't want it. No, thank you. We got this. We want full credit. We want to take all the credit. You know, we don't, we don't want your, your help. And this is how it is, right? God offers you salvation as a gift, and you can receive that gift or you can refuse it. You can say, thanks for being on, our, uh, on this group, or you can kind of kick them out and be like, I want to do things my own way. I want to I do it on my own. If you accept the gift, you have to swallow pride. And for most, I'd say this is what feels like the impossible hurdle. It's having to admit weakness. It's having to admit that you need help. Having to admit that you are actually guilty of law-breaking. That you failed to love well. And for a lot of people, that is just too hard. That's a pill too painful to swallow. And so they won't do it. You see, a Christian is, by definition, someone who claims Jesus and, 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 and uh, embraces him and all that he has done. The Christian life begins with this admission. My sins are so bad and so many that I needed God to die for me. I actually needed him to come and to live a, a life for me, and I needed him to die on the cross for me. Right? When you acknowledge that when you profess that that's that is what you are a christian but it begins there salvation by grace and faith strips you of any and all pride right christians ought to be the most humble people on the planet right what do we have to boast in my sins are so bad and so many god had to die for me right that kind of lays you out a little bit But not only should we be the most humble people on the planet, we should be some of the most joyful, paradoxically. Because not only did God have to die for us, he wanted to. Because he loves you. He didn't do this because he had to. He did this because he wanted to. And because he wants to be with you. I love how 
One pastor put it. He says, cheer up. Cheer up, friends. You are far worse than you think you are. And you're more loved than you could ever imagine. So cheer up. You are far worse than you think you are. And you're more loved than you can imagine. See, we don't earn our salvation. We never did. We receive it. And we receive it with the empty hands of faith. All you need is need. All you need is need. To come to God with empty hands, you're going to have to let go of pretense. You need to stop pretending to be better than you are. Stop pretending that you're uh, as good as your social media says you are. You need to let go of pride. You've got to stop looking down your nose at other people. Because God died for you and he died for them too, you know. You've got to let go of your trophies and your resume. And all the ways that you're trying to prove to God, to your parents, to yourself, that you're okay. Let it go. I'll put a question in your handout tonight. What are some ways that you are trying, still trying, to earn your salvation? What are ways that you are, even now, like in college, trying to earn your salvation? And what would it mean for you to let that go? To stop doing that? And instead to receive the free gift of Jesus? What difference would that make in your life? I'm curious. You don't have to tell me now, but I am curious. Let go of pretense. Let go of pride. Let go of your trophies. Let go of your self-salvation projects and instead come to God as you are. Come poor and wretched, weak and wounded, and sick and sore because Jesus ready stands to save you. He is full of mercy and he's joined with power. God has given us this incredible gift in Jesus. You've got to receive it with the empty hands of faith, but you also have to just cash this in. Receive it and take it to the bank. If Jeff Jeff Bezos gave a homeless person in Burlington a a check for a billion dollars, do you know what that would make the homeless person? It would make him a homeless person holding a piece of paper. (laughs) Until that homeless person takes this piece of paper to the bank and and cashes it in, his status hasn't changed one bit. And God, similarly, has done something incredible. He has given this incredible gift to the world. He's putting essentially a, a billion, jillion dollars in your hands. But that is of no use to you until you cash it in and you personally appropriate it. And you make it your own. You've got to deposit this into your account. Not your friend's account. Hey, you really need Jesus. My account. This is for me. God did this for the world, which includes me. It is of no benefit uh, to you until you make it your own. And this is what faith is. Faith is receiving this thing, and then it's making it personal. God, not just the Savior of the world, but my Savior. Not just the redeemer of the world, my redeemer, right? My healer and my friend. And this brings us to our third and final point, right? Eternal life 
right, which Jesus secures you, it can begin today. It's not something that you have to look forward to. It can start right this very minute. Um, Y'all, just extend this analogy a little bit of this billion dollars. Once this billion dollars hits your account, you can start working with it. Right? With this new resources in your bank account, you can start working with it. You can start playing with it. And God has given you incredible riches in the person of Jesus Christ. You do not have to wait until you die to start banking on it and start working with it. You can start uh, to enjoy these benefits today. For example, you don't have to wait until you die to begin to have a conversation with Jesus or with God. You can start praying now. You can start begin talking to him and learning how to hear his voice. You don't have to wait until you die to get to know Jesus better. You can fall more in love with him even now. So that when you see him face to face, you're like, of course it's you. Good to see you again. You don't have to wait until heaven to begin to experience intimacy with friends and family and neighbor and strangers. You don't have to wait until heaven until you begin to experience the sweetness of forgiveness and reconciliation and the beauties of Christian love. Right? All of that is available to you right this very minute. It, it, eternal life, the kind of life that's going to be going on forever and ever, it includes today. It includes this moment. Does this make sense? Cool. You were not saved, friends, because you were doing these great, amazing things. But you were saved so that you can begin to do them. Right? You're doing these things was not the basis of your salvation, but it is the result of it. Uh, you didn't live like a billionaire and then become one. Right? The investment, God's investment comes at the beginning and not at the end. God is not simply at the end of your salvation process, giving out gold stars. He enters in at the very beginning. He saves you by grace. He brings dead things back to life. And then he's at work in the middle, rehabilitating you, helping you to walk, helping you in your recovery, helping you to become more and more like Jesus. And then he's going to be at the end to welcoming you home. Every stage of the way, God is at work. This question, how are we saved, is one of the most important questions you will ever ask. And tonight, the Bible speaks to you. Right? Tonight, God speaks to you. And he speaks with an answer that is loud and clear. You are saved by grace. You are saved by the gift, Jesus. You are saved by faith and trust in him, believing in his name. And you are saved when you let go of pretense and pride and efforts to save yourself and when you entrust yourself to him entirely. So receive this gift that God has given you. Cash it in. Make it your own. And you don't have to wait any longer because eternal living includes today. Let's pray.